Well, good morning, LCM. Today's date is January 10th, 2021. We are continuing with our Joseph Storehouse series with the, today's message, and it's entitled, Retain It. Somebody say, Retain It. Retain It. Look, church, as we've mentioned before, we are absolutely, definitively in dark times, and they're growing ever more dim. Our current events of this past week have proven that our days are darkening and at, at an exponential rate. We would like to go right into the Word of God today and be reminded of the certainty of what God has said. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look, to set the historical context as you're turning, it's important for you to know that in Deuteronomy 31 and many other places in the Word, although you're in Deuteronomy 28, the Bible sets before the nation of Israel both life, say life, life, and death. It's life, prosperity, when it is obeyed, followed, cherished, lived in. And it is death to the nation if the nation rejects or pushes away or does not walk in. Now, the reason that I'm saying that is because if that's true for the nation of Israel, whom God loves more than any other nation, they're the one people on the planet that God chose for himself, how much more? Is it true of a Gentile nation like ours? And if that's not your thing, if you don't catch the national destiny that I'm talking about, 1 Peter 4.17 says it's time. Say it's time. It's time. For judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for the ungodly? As Pastor Matthew reads to you from Deuteronomy 28, understand this was said to a people who received, they heard the word of God, and they were declared to be God's people, and this was still said to them. Let's start in verse 28. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You'll be unsuccessful in everything you do, day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Look, Deuteronomy 28 is addressing a nation who has rejected him and his laws that he gave to them. This is the warning to those who heard the word, did not heed it, and brought it upon themselves the times of judgment. Namely, that the Lord removes discernment Clarity and sensibility. Replacing these very things with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. Yeah, that ought to be sobering, isn't it? Okay, so you could think in your mind, well, that was Israel. Because that's what theologians do. I mean, you're safe, you're secure, everything's great for you. If there's something bad in the Bible, throw it on the poor Jew, right? That's a terrible, terrible mistake. And uh, that book you're holding in your lap right now, like, hold up your Bible. Say, this is my Bible. Bible. That's as far as we're going with that, so we don't relate to Pastor Colgate. (laughs) That book you're holding in your lap, historically, in our country, just to bring this home, until the last 10 years or so, every person that was ever sworn into any public office put their hand on that book and took their oath. Any person who was in a trial and had to give testimony put their hand on that book until just recent times. 
So what is true in Deuteronomy 28 of Israel? Every time any public official ever took an oath of office, they put their hand on those words. Are you following me? So it clearly also relates to us. It's clear that those who love righteousness are able to see that the Lord is judging our nation with these very same three elements. Just as his word promised and came about in 1500 B.C. for the nation that he loves, what do you think the outcome for the Gentile nation will be? We're talking about madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. How can you not look around and see all those very things taking place? Look, 48 hours ago from right now, we had another unprecedented event that has happened in our nation's history. A currently seated president has been permanently banned from a social media platform, silencing his ability to exercise free speech. We want to show you something. We want to show you some news headlines that documents this very event. Take a look at starting on the right side of the screen. You see that Twitter, a social media platform, has permanently banned the president of the United States. Not allowed to speak in any other account that he tries to open if they find out that it's his, this will also apply to any other account that he has. They were even considering banning the POTUS Twitter account, the President of the United States, POTUS, and anything coming from the White House. You see that it's not just Twitter on the right, you see right at the top left that Facebook and Instagram, owned by the same corporation, the Facebook Corporation, who also owns WhatsApp, is also saying that they have blocked the president at least through the inauguration of president-elect Biden, but it could be longer than that. They're still up for discussion. This is just indicative. You see here also, we even wanted to make sure that you understood that this silencing effect is going on also even in our House of Representatives where they're discussing immediately removing the president according to the 25th Amendment. If not, evoking another impeachment process for a man who's about to leave office in 10 days. See, what is going on here? It's, there's even more that's available. See, this silencing of free speech is taking place in an overnight removal from the Google Play Store and the uh, Apple Store of a social media app that's entitled Parler, which if you're like Baj, you would see that and realize it's also French for parler, for to speak, a freedom of speech issue because they would not join the other big tech firms in the permanent ban of the president. When they banned the president on Twitter, Parlay became the number one selling app, the number one app on both Google and Apple, and overnight they shut it down to make sure that you could not hear the president of the United States speak. See, there's this silencing of, of conservatives, of leading conservatives on Twitter, on even CNN is calling for the removal of Fox News Network. You're seeing it in companies to the highest authority in our land that say you are not the highest authority. We will take that for ourselves. You're seeing it from one news entity, CNN Network, against Fox saying that they are part of an insurrection. These are very dark days that we're living in. Look, uh, this is not a political meeting. This is about the kingdom of God. And, and I, I want to put that into light for why we're taking the time to do something like this with you. If we amplify 
certain voices by giving them access and we mute other voices. That's, that is political um, silencing. And what this would mean for you, if you can silence uh, any voice of dissent, I want you all to think very carefully right now because I know a lot of you really love Facebook. I mean, I see that you're living your best life now on Facebook. And, and the response historically to me is, oh, you know, pastor, you just don't like social media. See, this is my ministry. Well, you're about to lose it. And the reason that you're about to lose it is if for not using the word insurrection or if for saying something like, I think this was fraudulent, the president of the United States can be banned. What's going to happen when you stand up for righteousness on these platforms? When you clearly, as I do all of the time, say homosexuality will invite the judgment of God. By the way, Islam is based on a pedophile prophet and the whole Quran is a satanic book. While we do these kind of things, you will not have a platform to be able to say them anymore. What is at stake is not political it is the free expression of your Christian faith in a public forum. That is where this is headed. I recognized it immediately because I've been in some 40 countries in the last couple of years, and it looks exactly like Turkey. It looks exactly like many nations in the Middle East where you simply do not have access to anything on the Internet that the government does not agree to. See, that is an incredible situation. So let me ask you to begin praying about Facebook, about YouTube, about Twitter. I'm proud to say I've never made one <clears throat> tweet. Yes. Because over, if they do this over political things, what will they do over truly biblical preaching in the days to come? And I do want to do something that I, I've never done, and he doesn't know that I'm doing it. But I have a good friend at King's Harvest Fellowship. Y'all heard of that church? Yes. Yeah, amen. Y'all love Pastor Johnson? Yes. Within his congregation, there's a man that's dedicated his life to creating a social media platform that competes with Facebook. He didn't do it in response to this. He did this more than 10 years ago, believing that something like this was coming. It is called The Jump. And the man is my friend. His name is Jeremy Charbonnet. You will never be censored. It is in every country in the world, or at least the access for that. It's spread out globally right now. Hundreds of thousands of users, more and more in this church. I would encourage you and everyone who listens to this message in Chicago and Virginia and everywhere else, download that app. It's free and it supports the kingdom. Okay? Now that we've done that, are you kind of clenching with the darkness? Are you realizing that what the Spirit has been showing us is happening faster than we thought that it might? Okay, amen. See, these are not unforeseen to the real church of God. We just thought that it might take months or years before they became enacted. These things are happening overnight. We can't get to the next service before historically relevant Things change in our society, in our country. We won't be able to get to Wednesday night before something else like this happens. See, we've been saying it to you. 
We've, we've been telling it to you that the Lord has confirmed it to us that we're in the days of Jeremiah. We are in some dark days. And let us remind you of a passage that we covered in our last sermon. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 13. Jeremiah 13, and we're going to look at verse 16. While we're waiting for everybody to get there, because I can tell y'all are in a great mood today, I just want to point out that that yellow sweater on Damien looks fantastic, don't you think? Yeah, I just, uh, I just wanted to point it out. Tamika loves it. Looks like Tom was uh, shopping in the same stores as Damien now. Just let that sit on you. Damien shopping next to Tom. You're welcome. Jeremiah 13, 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness. Before your feet stumble on the darkening hills. You hope for light, but he will turn it to utter darkness and change it to deep gloom. Look, saints, when dark days come upon us, the right response is to give glory to God. He is just he is true and so are his judgments we're going to give him glory before we're going to give him glory during and we're going to give him glory after Amen. those times but there's something to to focus in on the undarkened heart of the unrighteous hopes for light all the while they're closing their eyes to the reality of god's kingdom and his judgments that are coming upon them they're not able to grasp that their hollow sense of hope will only turn to what kind of darkness? Utter darkness and deep gloom. Oh, if it was just darkness and gloom, that's heavy enough as it is. But now we're talking to the depths and extremes of what these things are. However, there's a response for the righteous. Response of the righteous. I mean, those who retain the word in the midst of utter darkness, their response is to give him glory. Glory! Their response is to give him glory even when the news headlines are filled with greater levels of madness, deeper levels of blindness, and further states of confusion of mind. We want to show you something. Let's take a look at this next slide. Church, as we move to this next slide, we understand that, that we're clinching with what the darkness is this morning. We want you to make sure that you're not missing some very pivotal pieces of information that's going on in our world. We want to introduce to you Kristen Clark, the assistant attorney general, just been nominated for this position, the assistant attorney general of the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice. That's a lot of words in there, but this, this woman is now responsible for civil rights, the entire civil rights division of the Department of Justice for our federal government. And you see there a picture of her on the right, and this is a tweet from her unblocked Twitter account. We've got the Ayatollah of Iran unblocked. We've got Chinese leadership in, in, in uh, uh, communist countries unblocked on Twitter. Much like our friend Kristen Clark. She has an unblocked Twitter account. And it says this. This job is about justice. It's about equality. And under our Department of Justice, we'll move, move closer to the true meaning of equal justice under the law. Oh. All right. The true meaning. What an interesting true phrase. Meaning. The true meaning. Let's get to that. See, the true meaning of justice that Miss Clark is proposing is one that is of utter madness, church. 
Her definition of equality is documented to state that from the leading positions of our country, uh, to, to, professional, to professions like doctors and lawyers and pilots, they are to be primarily selected. Somebody say primarily. Primarily. Primarily selected the based, on, based on sexual orientation or sexual perversions, gender fluidity, racial and ethnic identifiers, much more than the qualifications of skill or proficiency. It literally matters how you look or how you identify more than what you're actually able to do. It's kind of like judging the content of someone's character by the color of their skin, the activity in their bedroom, or their religion. It's, it's almost the exact opposite of what civil rights used to mean. Of course, it's the true meaning, according to her. That's not an obscure fact, by the way. No. Uh, it's well recorded. Uh, it's, it's been in the public record for five, six years now. See, justice is said to be blind, unable to see anything but the merits of the participant. This assistant uh, attorney general of the Department of Justice, whose job is to determine the course of civil rights in our country, is unable to perceive anything close to biblical, social, historic, or even civil understanding of what justice and true equality actually is. And this is the true meaning that we are moving towards as a country. Now that we've clinched with the darkness, we are going to move in a new direction. But I, I want to say something to you. We don't talk very much about politics because that is not our field. We're experts in the application of God's word. But when kingdoms move... When spiritual powers are wrestling, they show up in political events. That's what the book of Daniel is about. So consider that just like men put their hands on a Bible and were sworn into office in our country for a couple hundred years now, at least until recent times, our founding document makes clear that all men are given inalienable rights by God. You, you follow me here? Well... That is important because if God gave them to you, then no one else can take them away from you. I want you to get that when you're looking at something like that, and you may not think it's that big a deal, it's just more California bleeding into the rest of the country, uh, which I hope you do think is a big deal. I don't want people to California my Texas. But, <laughs> but, it, but you may not think it's a big deal, Understand that God defines what justice is. His word defines what justice is. Nobody else can give you a true meaning of equality and justice other than God. And so you should beware of these, these kind of... This not a Republican and Democrat argument. Can I just be honest? I don't like either group. I haven't liked either group for a very long time. This is about the descent into darkness that the Spirit has been warning us about for months. And He's been preparing us for it. It's not about an election. It's about the state of a nation and the state of the globe in general. And you were being positioned to shine brightly in the darkness. You should have no fear in you. I feel like I've been training for this for 30 years. <laughs> 
Church, the darker days that we're in, they just require that we give glory to God, that we keep our eyes on him. He will accomplish his justice, not only on the earth, but he's going to accomplish his justice inside of our day and time, as well as inside of our lives. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Turn to Psalm 139, verse 12. Say, retain it whenever you get there. One thirty nine twelve. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Look, saints, the darkness of days is not a problem for our just and righteous king. He is not maddened. He is not blinded. He is not confused of mind. He is supreme and superior, and he dwells in the unapproachable light. The days that we're in have no shroud of darkness for him nor for his children. He is as supreme now as he has ever been. And he gives clarity and enlightens the way for his children, those who retain the word, those who are redeemed and born again. Let's look at what 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3 through 6 says about those who dwell with him. Turn with us to 1 Thessalonians 5. On the screen, we're going to have it in the ESV. It's not the Eric Stevens versions, but it might be close. The ESV. Here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3 says this. While people are saying there's peace and security, this sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, but you. Are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. As others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. See, peace and security, this type of peace and security, has always been the rhetoric of those entrenched in darkness in some form of perverse justice or equality. They console their maddened and confused minds with false comforts, even as the inescapable pains of labor come upon them. But you. Somebody say, but you. But you. But you are not in darkness. Man, this is my, what, a, what a glorious phrase in the midst of this passage. Children of the day are not blinded by the darkened days. Instead, what the passage that Pastor Matt just read, the Lord is described, and it's said of him that darkness is as light to you, mighty God, and he makes it light to us. Because we walk in the light as he is in the light, we are wide awake. We're sober-minded. We have heard the word of God in this church. Can somebody say amen as a testimony? We are going to retain it. We are going to walk forward. That is our focus in these dark days. We're going to retain the word that the world is rejecting all around us. We will water that seed, not only going to plant that seed, but we're going to water that seed because it is our duty and privilege to persevere in it. And the king, our king, will have his produce in us. He will receive the harvest from us. It's time to make hay. Somebody say hay. Hey. While the sun is still shining, it's time to retain the word of God. Let's all turn to Luke chapter 8 and verse 15. While you're turning to Luke Chapter 8 and verse 15, I can't help as I'm listening to Pastor Wade teach us about Thessalonians that that's not a New Testament thing. 
It may feel that way, but it's exactly what Micah 7.8 says. Do not gloat over me, my enemy, for though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Amen. No matter what the situation is outside, it'll always be light in Goshen. Amen. Is everybody at Luke 8, 15? But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it. Say retain it. Retain it. And by persevering, produce a crop. Look, by now you have heard the word to gather the grains of gratefulness and cultivating the seed. So now it is obviously time to retain it. Our hope is that the word takes on a new meaning for you at new depths because it certainly does for us. Look, many ideas come to mind when I hear the word retain it. Ideas like retaining water during pregnancy, which is very well established in our church. I don't know how there would be no giggles for that. (laughs) Maybe the men retaining water would be more funny. I think it would be. Yeah, you'd like the flights to India where your feet swell. My kids name those socks that you have to wear geezer squeezers, you know. Retain can mean a lot of things. Today, we're talking about it in light of water. Water. So what we're talking about is the process of holding water for the purpose of irrigating seed in a field. Making sure that the right amount of water is being given at the proper time. Empowering the seed to persevere and producing an abundance of harvest. Much like Job 14.9 says, Yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Wow. There's an undeniable link between your ability to retain the word and your need to water what you've been given. And if... If you bring it in to your storehouse, that is great. You then have to cultivate the soil of your heart so that it can grow. You got to get rid of rocks, you got to get rid of hard places, you got rid of competing thorns. But you also have to water it. See, when you refresh uh, your revelation in this way, when you say, God, breathe on the word you've given me in this way, The Lord will help you to grow in that revelation, but he will also help that revelation grow inside of you. Maybe our prayer should be refresh us so that we can refresh others in these dark days. Lord, water our souls so that we can be life-giving springs to others. See, we don't just want the sin of water so that we can spring to life. You want the scent of water so that every godly word that has been planted in your heart, a revelation given to you, that it stays strong during this time, that it bears fruit during this time. And that revelation that is growing in you, that you retain, it will birth other revelations, I promise. Church, this principle really is at the heart of what Israel failed to do in Jeremiah's day. And what most fail to do here in our day. But that's, we're not going to fail to do this. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 2 and let's look at verse 13. Jeremiah 2 and verse 13. Say retain it when you get there. Retain it. I was just wondering how many of you had retainers when you were in like middle school. Because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that's actually beautiful in the word. Jeremiah... 
Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 says this. My people have committed two sins. What an interesting summary for an entire nation filled of people. Two sins. They can be summarized in these two categories. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And two, they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I mean, consider here what is being said by Jeremiah early in his ministry. To forsake the very wellspring of life is to forsake life itself. They're actually forsaking life by forsaking this spring of living water. To have a pure source of water is vital, but to have the pure source of life is absolutely everything. Mm. See, the ability to retain it must begin with finding a true source of living water, and we have that true source here. The, the process does begin with finding the true source. That's, that's undeniable. And, and it's not that these people didn't have the true source. It's that they didn't retain that. The goal is not just to find the true source and retain it, though. The goal is aimed at becoming the true source. This is what John 7 is all about. The goal is not simply to identify, oh, hey, there's pure water over there, is to drink from that until it's quite literally flowing out of you like a spring. Do you see the relationship between gratefulness in this? You are not going to gather something into your heart that you're not grateful for. You're not going to cultivate something in your heart that you are not truly grateful for. You certainly are not going to water something that you don't cherish. Okay, anybody in here say you don't have a green thumb? Yes. No, the truth is, is you just don't care that much about that plant. Yes, that People that have a green thumb actually don't have green thumbs. They just care more than other people do about the survival of that plant. So they tend to, I mean, these are myths that we make up. Like somebody is genetically more capable of getting a tomato to grow. No, it's the same process for every human being. Some just tend to it, but I, I don't. I don't care whether they grow or not. I'm happy to go buy them somewhere. But the truth is about this. The more you are grateful for what he's spoken to you, the more you cultivate your heart and you keep working it and rooting it into your heart, and the more you water it and start to see the same revelation in other places expressed in different ways, Retention or retaining the word is really about it becoming so rooted in you that it starts to produce more. We started with gratefulness because it's a little bit like fertilizer on your cultivated soil. Fertilizer in a good sense. The reason we've been working that with you for weeks is if you're not grateful for the last word you got, God's not going to give you a genuine new word. He'll let you run off in whatever madness and confusion you want to run off in. See, in Jeremiah's day, we saw that their source was a problem. But so too was the retention system that they implemented. They had broken cisterns or broken systems that wouldn't and couldn't hold water. And it brought about the judgment of God upon the people in Jeremiah's day. See, church, you are a church and you have heard the word. You have absolutely heard the word, and we want to help you to retain that seed that God has so richly given us, because you are the children of the day, and the darkness of Jeremiah's day won't take you by surprise. You are the very storehouses. You don't just have the storehouses. You are becoming the storehouses. You are becoming this that Joseph so clearly displayed. See, once you have a seed that's planted, 
once you've heard the word and received the revelation. The essential next step is to retain that word that's been planted. We want to show you how to gather these waters necessary to pour on God's revelation planted in you so that the revelation can take root below and bear fruit above. Isn't that exactly what Isaiah 37 says? Isaiah 37, 31 says, Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below, and it will bear fruit above. Notice that nearly every example in the Bible revolves around an innate understanding of agriculture, something that that we've lost. I mean, I don't grow anything except a beard. And uh, the, the thing is, Anybody who's actually planted a seed, so y'all just be honest in here. If you have physically put a seed in the ground, raise your hand. Amen. So this is not hard for us to understand. You put the seed in the ground and you want it to take root. But what do you have to do immediately after you put the seed in the ground? Our Samarin series has been aimed at you gathering in the seed. Then secondly, you cultivating the soil. That's packing that dirt around it rightly, gingerly, carefully, caring about that seed. Now we want to pour water on it because if you want something to take root in your heart, you have to cherish it enough to keep watering it. Planting is really only the beginning. And in our country, unfortunately, Christianity has become When we preach something to you, you acknowledge that it's true and maybe with some excitement. And then you just move on to the next planting without anything having grown. And we want to fix that. We want to address that. We, We want to gather in. We want to cultivate. And we want to retain by watering. Listen, we want to give you some practical steps on how to retain and water it. Let's begin with the first of our practical steps, and it's remember. Everybody say the word remember. Remember. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 3. Retain it. Retain it. There we go. Revelation 3.3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Wow, that sounds familiar. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. The hundreds of times through the entirety of the word of God, we are constantly told to remember. Remember what you have received and remember what you have heard. See, by remembering, you're able then to hold it fast. You're able to retain. You're able to water it. Every time you bring yourself into remembrance of a specific word, especially if it's one that has been rhema to you, that has come off the page at some point to you in history, you're watering it. You're holding it fast. Not only are you holding it fast, it's holding you fast. I mean, think through that. I'm not standing, I mean, the, the word being placed in my heart is doing something for me. I'm pulling it close to me, but it's, it's also causing me to stand in a new way. When we bring the word into remembrance, you are rooting yourself into the truth. Your remembrance, your reciting of the word, it is watering the seed that you planted through the power of the spirit in your very soul. And 
it will it'll bear fruit if you persevere in that practice how many of you in this church carry around stones that is so that you can remember retain what god has given you once wasn't enough how many have been carrying around some of the same stones for years yeah yeah me me too because the more i water that in the soil of my heart the more it it not only takes root you'll see later it brings more revelation of the same kind it does you see how the lord is helping us he's helping us grow helping us remember what god has said as we read that passage in revelation chapter 3 didn't it echo what we saw in luke chapter 8 let me give you a clue on something we saw in Revelation 3, though. When you haven't remembered well, well, that's, that's me. When you haven't remembered well, the book of Revelation gives you the answer for that very thing as well. It says, repent. <laughs> repent and remember what you have been given. Let it water the seed of your revelation. And here's the hope. It will grow your revelation. Look, those who are asleep are the ones who are surprised by this thief. But it is not, that is not who this church are. That's not who we are. We are awake. We are sober-minded. And we are going to water the seed of God's revelation through remembering what we have received and the very things that we have heard. Part of retain starts with remember. But interestingly enough, there was a connection between the word remember and the Older Testament, hold fast in the new. We don't want to break down those linguistics for you today. Think about even the English phrase, though, hold fast. Uh, it's a synonym for hold securely, right? Yeah. But the word fast can mean different things. In this phrase, it means securely. But what else does the word fast move? <laughs> hold fast. Grab hold of it Amen. quickly. Yeah. Amen. But also grab hold of it securely yeah. american christians like to eat popcorn we like to take something that is eternal and divine and just throw it in our mouth and grab another one and throw it in our mouth and grab another one we are learning to let things like a mezuzah a family banner a corporate vision the things that are on the wall here and in your house get watered and retained in our hearts Amen. there could be a day we can't meet like this and only what you have taken hold of or has taken hold of you will be the storehouse that feeds the area around you. Come on, let's see. We, we just looked at this passage in Revelation. Let's turn to Deuteronomy. From the beginning of the word to the end, you're going to see the same principle being illustrated. Deuteronomy chapter 32, and we're going to look at verse 7. Deuteronomy 32, 7. Say, retain it when you get there. It says this, remember the days of old, consider the generations long past, ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain it to you. Come on now. See, we not only remember what God has done in us and in our day and time, it is more. We are required to remember the days of old. We're, re we're required to remember and find those ancient paths, that older wine, the generations that have passed. That's what we keep turning back to. That's how we can confirm the very words that we have is based upon the generations past. The first step in retaining the word of God to water it is to remember. 
See, this remembering occurs through the process of discipleship. Somebody say discipleship. discipleship. By leaning on our fathers in the faith. Those who have gone before us, it reminds us, it's supposed to call to our remembrance the generations past and what has always been true. It is also through remembering that we are watering the seed of revelation through the wisdom of our elders. Somebody say amen for our elders. Through the watering of remembering, we cause the seed of revelation to grow inside of us and it begins to be the process of us retaining it. The remembering and the retaining that we're talking about, because remembering is the first step to retaining. The, the words here, ask your elders, the recital of the word, actually physically speaking it to yourself. That's what the word meditate actually means in Hebrew, to mull over it verbally. What it looks like, practically speaking, is that you are speaking the word to one another when you walk along the road. When you go in and out of your houses or your cities, when you get up or you lie down, just like Deuteronomy 8 and Deuteronomy 11 say, to retain the word is to be in continual remembrance of the word through constant conversation about the word until it's rooted into every conversation that you have. So if you're sitting out here today and I, you know, I love you, but I also love you enough to tell the truth. If you're sitting out here today and the bulk of your conversation in a day is not about the word, then it's not what's rooted in your heart. Whatever you are speaking about the most is what is rooted in your heart. And I didn't say that. Jesus did. He said, out of the abundance of a man's heart does his mouth speak. The good man speaks of the good stored up in him, while the evil man, the evil stored... So if all you can talk about is football, that's what has hold of your heart. If all you can talk about is your job, that's what has hold of your heart. If all you can talk about are politics, that's what has hold of your heart. What we want to do is water the word until it is seasoning every single conversation that you have. How many of you have sat down in a circle with me where it was unplanned? Good. I, if you haven't, you need to. And if you're scared to, I'm much nicer in person. Okay? First question I ask almost every time. Can anybody shout it out? Now, how, uh, how is it everybody knows that? Because it's what's in my heart and it's all that is coming out. That's not because I'm a pastor. I've been doing that since the moment the word started to take root in my heart. Let every conversation be bringing you back into remembrance and stop quoting it in a kind of tribal knowledge fashion. If you don't know exactly what it says, pull out a Bible. That way you're rooting the right thing in your heart because all of those little phrases like godliness is next to cleanliness that you thought were in the word, they're not. And you don't want to root the wrong thing. That's called a weed. Hey, hasn't this uh, very thing that Pastor Eric done for you watered the seed of revelation that God has given you? Our lives are transformed because of it. Bring him back into remembrance what God has said and digging deeper in his word. Well, the second step, everybody say second. Second. The second practical step to retain it, watering, is the word realize. Now, when we say realize, here's what we're going to define it as, to bring into reality. 
it's not just an understanding or clarity of mind. It is a practicality of bringing it into reality. And let me explain to you exactly how. It's the reality of having the seed of revelation planted in you so that you begin to implement what that seed of revelation is. You are watering the seed when you implement its revelation. And to bring the revelation into reality, to realize it, trains your every thought. It trains your every emotion and action. This is exactly what Hebrews 5.14 says. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have brought into reality or trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. When you're daily putting the word into constant use, you are daily watering the seed of revelation in the seed of your own, soil of your own heart through the means of implementation. Look, we just had our first maximizing your marriage or meeting last Friday. And we looked over the Abigail and the ball carts. But we want to point something out very clear to you, right? It's not enough to just know your spouse's Abigail traits and know your own Nabal traits. That, that doesn't cut it. You are to bring them into remembrance daily, reciting them, and then bringing them into reality as you daily put them into practice. That's where you see growth of that revelation and the transformation that comes about from that. How many of you on that note experienced something at the table uh, on that evening? You already knew the information we were going to go over. But as you brought it into reality, doing it, and even in a group, we watched countenances change around the room. We did. Did, did yeah. anybody else have that experience or am I making yeah, it up? Okay. That is the difference between knowing something and accepting it and being sure that it's true and actually pouring water on it so it gets rooted yes. in your heart. These are not disciplines in the sense of, well, I have to and I just want to be a good husband, a good wife, so I'm going to do this. You're actually rooting into your heart the tree of life yes. when you do it. Yeah. And I think people could feel that. Yeah. It's like we mentioned earlier, that the atmosphere of our church during worship was completely different than it was a week ago because of this bringing into reality the very fundamentals that build our marriages. This also extends into our teachings of Talmudim, what we hear on Monday nights with foundations, discipleship training, ministry training. Look, these are... Are, are the means by which we are to receive this seed of revelation and bring into reality through constant use of what we're getting from these teachings. They're, these teachings are for us to constantly use because you cannot grow the seed of re revelation that we give you without realizing its constant use, watering it with real application and thereby bring it into reality. Look, if you guys would begin turning to Philippians 4, 8 through 9, uh, while you're turning there, uh, as I was listening to Pastor Matt talk about this, <laughs> I had a real-life illustration from my, my own upbringing. Uh, when I think about Elder Bosch, I can't help but notice that the man has mastered quite a few languages. And in my own life, that's been a bit of a nemesis. Like, I go a lot of places uh, I, I hear a lot of languages. I learn phrases in those languages. And for some reason, uh, they don't stick the same way. 
Uh, I could say I don't have a green thumb, but we know that's not really what it is. I haven't put the work into it that he's put into it. So I want to ask you, how many of you had at least one year of a foreign language somewhere in your academic career? Put your hands down because you don't want this next part to still have your hand up. How many of you can stand up and speak two or three sentences in that language? Yeah. Do you see that that's like 2%? That's because we learn to pass a test, and when the test is over, we're done. We're done. That's the only reason that we learn. If you treat the Word of God that way, so that I say, hey, Andrew, what are your navel traits? And he's like, oh, I, I know those. Well, that's totally beside the point. The only reason I'm asking him is what I'm really saying is, Andrew, are you visiting the acts of your sinful nature, looking for a way to put them to death? Are you taking a scriptural sword to it every moment? Because knowing them, it's, I mean, it's a beginning. It's like gathering something into your heart. But it's not really cultivating your heart, and it's sure not pouring water on it. This church has done a great job with passing tests. You're the most biblically literate church that I've ever seen. I still think we have a long ways to go, but that's more of a statement of our times than about you. Uh, We have a long ways to go, but passing a test is not the issue. What we, I mean, I took French, I took Spanish, I've had the opportunity to spend months in India, months in Germany, months in Romania, and I can't tell you which are the only words that I remember from those countries. They're the ones I heard directed at me the most. You're going to have to water it so that it grows in you and reproduces more. Church, do you understand we're giving you such a vital key today? Yeah. It's easy for you to hear it. I had a brother sitting on the front row. He was like, that was my whole college career. He's like, that was college. To learn a bunch of things that I then had to go and I threw away and had to go learn real life when I got to the job. See, what we're doing, there's no, uh, this is not a secret. This is something that we're putting forth before you. This is a key that everyone in the room can do. The ones in this church that are implementing it and bringing into reality the words that you're learning are doing the best. The ones who are not bringing into reality in a daily manner the word of God are not doing the best. This is not difficult for us to understand. Look how Philippians Chapter 4 and verse 8 puts this. Philippians 4, 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, the goal is not just for you to learn, receive, hear, Or C, the goal is the next phrase. Put it into practice. Make it a reality in your life. And the God of peace will be with you. The shalom of the heavens will be upon you. See, when you are thinking, meditating, and remembering the true, noble, righteously pure word of God, when you are remembering his praiseworthy actions of the great king that we serve, it's like water for your soul, isn't it? See, remembering what you've learned. But the goal of the remembering is always to realize it, to make it a reality by putting it into practice. Think about the wise man in Matthew 7. That wise man, he was wise because he heard the word and put it into practice. That man, 
That man had a foundation that was sure. That man, those, the difficulties that came along, the stability of his life, it was proven by the reality of his being able to water the word in his own life. The difficulties of the storms, you know what that did? That just added more water to the seed that he was already cultivating. See, it made his foundational roots go deeper, grow more secure. It proved the reality of his revelation, that man that was wise there in Matthew 7. The very shalom of God, the very order of the heavens, the very shalom in your home is upon you. When the remembering moves towards realization, towards the reality in your life, it's not just that you can recall it, it's that it is becoming part of what you are. That reality, when you've heard the word and are retaining it, you're watering it by implementing it. God's peace is going to clearly be upon you. This is no secret. We are declaring it from the rooftops this morning to make it as plain and as clear as possible that you need to be making a reality of the word in your life, not only memorizing it, not only recalling it, but moving to make it a reality. I want to begin to pick up the pace because I think you're getting the concept. As we do that, think about Hebrews 11 for just a second. We're going to throw something on the screen for you. Before you read it, though, I want you thinking about Hebrews 11. What did Noah do? Shout it out. Yeah. Why were you all tentative about that? You've known that since, like, elementary school, right? What did Noah do? Okay, what did Jephthah do? Yeah, I, I just said, yeah, we're the most biblically literate church. This is funny. He went to war. <laughs> okay. Everybody in Hebrews 11 did something. I, I want you to get that. None of them are in Hebrews 11 for believing alone. That's, and the fact that we call it a hall of fame is a joke. It is described in a sermon that is recorded in the book of Hebrews as normative believing behavior. Normative. Not, not Hall of Fame. We gave it a Hall of Fame title so that we didn't have to do anything. Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is in the Amplified Version, because I think we ought to amplify some voices, but I don't think we should silence others. Now, faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. You see that the word that uh, Amplified used for reality there, it relates to substance in, in Hebrews 11, and it's hypostasis. In general, that which underlies the appearance, hence reality. Now, the reason that I'm saying all of that is when a word comes into your heart and you have cultivated the soil of your heart and you begin to pour water on it, that word becomes reality to you. And it's specifically reality of what you must do. I don't want to teach the linguistics here, but it's ergon. It's the work product of your life. So let's just imagine for a second that Peyton leans over to Hannah right now and he says, oh, Hannah, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. She says, I know he says that, but he doesn't mean it. It's not really true then it's not rooted into your heart. It hasn't been watered in your heart because to you, it is not real. You agree that the word says it, that the word is true, but to you, it has not become the reality that you're looking at. You have to water words like that. 
Because they're true whether you recognize they're true or not. I know the Lord will provide for me because he, he provides abundant seed for the sower. I've been reading Corinthians, Pastor. Yes, but you are biting your nails because you haven't watered that word. You can recite it, but you haven't watered it. It hasn't become real to you yet. My life's mission, my wife's life mission is to confront people with the reality of the kingdom, good or bad, because we're to live in it. It is the reality that lies beneath everything that you see at all times. If you read every definition you can find of these words, that's exactly what they're saying. It is a dimension all around us that you simply cannot see and feel all of the time. You get glimpses. Well, watering the word makes the kingdom real to you. So find an area where you know what a scripture says, but it's difficult for you to believe. You just found a dry piece of ground you have to water. Amen. Look, isn't this help, help you get these truths and bring them into reality for you? Amen. Well, we want to share with you our third and last practical step to retain it. And that word is renew. Renew. Renew is the ongoing process of watering the seed of revelation, supplying it with a constant flow of nourishment, much like an irrigation system does for a field with seeds. It is not an irrigation system if it only waters the seed one time and then it's done. That's not irrigation. An irrigation system is designed to give a constant supply of water to the seed so that it can empower its growth and its ability to persevere and actually produce something. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 4. We'll start with verse 15. Say retain it whenever you get there. So now if we ask him if they're retaining water, they should all say yes. <laughs> Joyfully retaining water. Gladly. <laughs> Don't need to take a pill for that. It's a good thing. No, no, no. You want to retain this. Ruth 415. I can't wait to have this conversation with Michael after church. <laughs> Mike, I think you're retaining water. That's a good thing. Ruth 415. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Look, the dry soil of Naomi's heart would be watered through the renewal of having a son of her own. A seed gifted to her and one that would sustain her into her old age. And through the process of caring and nurturing this child, in turn, he would then renew Naomi's own life. How many times, saints, have you been brought back to life because the Lord entrusted in your care a new disciple? 
someone to pour into, to renew that seed of revelation. It brought about a renewal of purpose, a renewal of your mezuzah, both to you and the seed that you have received and are being watered through the process of renewal. When we have remembered who the Lord is and his mighty deeds, when we have brought them into reality in our daily lives, made into reality our responsibility to implement the revelation received, we then must daily be renewed at the constant source of irrigation, the constant source of God's word washing over the seed of revelation that we received. When you think through this process, discipleship is the result of a watered word in your heart. You can't disciple someone if that word has not grown to the point where it wants to produce seedlings. It also speaks to something if you do not have people that are looking at you that want something. They simply don't see a watered word flowing out of you. And that is offensive to a lot of you. And it, it should offend you with yourself, but it shouldn't offend you with anyone else. Everyone who waters this seed in their heart, every single one will produce more. Uh, every single one. Uh, American Christianity is the most sterile I've ever seen. Anywhere else that you go, especially in countries that there's adversity, so there's a little uh, plowing of the field, every Christian produces more Christians. This is the only place in the entire world, us and some dead parts of Europe, that you can be a Christian 20 years and not produce more Christians. It's because we are not actually doing what we believe. Mm. We believe that the word is right. We've grabbed, grabbed hold of it. We've said we pulled it into our heart. We haven't really cultivated our hearts and we haven't watered it. Or the proof is you would be producing more of what you are. Sure. Now in this church, you're grateful that you've received the word. You're grateful that you are cultivating your heart and you're gonna be grateful to water it. So we know what will happen. <laughs> You'll persevere in it and you'll produce more. We, we know that. Back to Naomi, though. Discipleship definitely did this. It brought her back to life. It rewet something in her soul. Somewhere along the way, this woman whose name means pleasantness and who was always destined to be in the lineage of David. We, we act like, oh, well, in the book of, of Ruth, we realized this. Well, you realized it, but it was a reality to God way, way, way back. Okay, in fact, if you ever study those generations, there's something beautiful there because David is the 10th from a cursing in Judah and Perez's uh, uh, life. And God fixed a problem that he took 10 generations to fix. That was always Naomi's destiny. But it wasn't until there was a rewatering event through some discipleship, her getting a chance to see what God would do with Ruth that she actually brought forth life, okay? The more you share your faith, the more active you are, the more it will be real to you. Now, my whole hope with this is that you recognize that it's true of discipleship on the one hand, and it's true of something else. How many of you have received a revelation from God that is confirmed in the word? Raise your hand if that's true. Think through the same process with the revelation that just came to your mind. Because when you receive something like I did, Exodus 15, 27, one of many, it was a genuine revelation. Uh, it came to Elim where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. That had never meant anything in particular to me. That day it came off of the page. 
pouring a little water on it, meditating on it, thinking through it, it has produced scriptural children. Successive revelations, other connections have been born, seen, and discovered from it. So that now I can't read Matthew 10 without thinking about 12 men being sent out like there were 12 palm trees there. I can't read Luke 10 without realizing that 70 were sent out like the 70 palm trees and the 12 springs. The more you do this, it happens again and again. I find myself in 1 Kings 7 and I'm counting the number of menorahs and going, if there's 10 menorahs and there's seven lights on each one, that's 70. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. These verses begin to connect so that you read John 2 or Mark 11 and you see Jesus standing in a temple saying that and you realize God always intended the 12 tribes to be a spring to the 70 nations of the world. Now, somebody else hears that, and to be honest, I explained it for like five years before anybody had seemed to understand it, and another couple years before people started to care about it. I cared about it from the moment I started to water it. Have you ever noticed how much somebody loves a plant they grew? Mm-hmm. Now, it's the weirdest thing. You can give somebody a plant, and they're like, cool, it's a housewarming present. If you go outside and scratch it out of the air. Matt had a fig tree. I didn't think it was particularly a nice fig tree. I didn't like it very much. It's just a tree. Matt loved that fig tree. I did. His family talked about that fig tree. They brought over fig trees as a very special, or fruit, fig, fig, figs. figs, as a very special fruit. And it was precious because of what it meant to them because they watered it. Now, if you're only being given revelation, And you don't do any, of course you're not grateful for it. It's just popcorn. You'll get more. But when you start to cultivate your heart to plant it in there and you start to water it, you spend a few years doing the things we're teaching in merits counseling, it will no longer be a teaching you were taught. It'll be you. It'll be yours. It'll be what your family does. You spend a few years doing what we do in Talmudim, it'll be yours. But if you sit around and hear it for years... Not, not trying to be hard on you. It actually hardens your soil because you think you have something that you don't. Okay. Now our goal here is we know there are dark times coming. We know that we feel it. We're in it. Every time we preach a word, it's being confirmed. We know that you need to water the things you've been given and they'll grow in you and you'll start to see connections that we never made. The beauty of that is as that's happening around this room, our roots begin to grow together. When Carlos gets a revelation into a passage that means a lot to me, and I have a scriptural root system going off it, and I see his, they start to connect, and we all get stronger. This is a healthy life in the Word, and that's what we're trying to promote in here. Can you hear the beauty in what Pastor's telling us today? We're laying out some very important principles for you. We have one last scripture for you. Turn with us to 1 Chronicles chapter 23. And we're going to look at verse 30. Say retain it when you get there. First Chronicles 23 and verse 30. The backdrop of this is King David is laying out instructions for the Levites. He's, there's tens of thousands. He puts 24,000 responsible for the temple. He is assigning them to be judges and, and officials and musicians. He is going through and putting in order, putting in shalom, the very kingdom of God and the very... Uh, priest who were going to serve there. In verse 30, he says this, it, uh, speaking of the, of the Levites, 
of the priest. They were also to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. How'd you like that to be your job? You get to stand every morning. Wait a minute. It is our job to do exactly this. They were to do the same in the evening. Come on, morning and evening. And whenever burnt offerings were presented to the Lord on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts, and at the appointed festivals, they were to serve before the Lord regularly in the proper number and in the way prescribed for them. Church, we want you to understand what's going on here. The revelation that Solomon received about building the temple. He received it from his father, David. He received, David received it from Samuel, who had received it from the heavens. See, this kind of revelation that's remembered and then it's brought into reality. David is ushering these things in. And then it must be renewed in every single man, whether king or priest or prophet. Every man must have these revelations renewed, watered in their own soul so that they can grow. Listen to the requirements there. There was a morning and an evening of thankfulness, of gratefulness to the Lord. The daily requirements that we must do. We know these, but these are not just disciplines. These are the very way to renew it in our life, to watch them grow. The daily requirements of having the word ever at our tongue, to having the spirit, to walking through tabernacle prayer each and every day that will bring life, that will cause the seed of revelation to grow. Then it talks about the Sabbaths. That's a weekly requirement. You have the daily requirement, then the Sabbaths show you a weekly requirement. That's like our services here, church. When you attend a service, it's like faithfully watering the revelation that God has. It gives it a chance to be grown and increased in your life. Then the monthly requirements, the new moon uh, events that were there. This is like the series that we teach, going on more than just a singular service. We're walking through them. It's going to be about the home meetings that we start in March. This is what is going on in a daily, a weekly, a monthly, and then even an annually kind of way where they had the feast. I can tell you, our, our feast is basically like our one association meeting here with us. These are the things that call to mind. We're going to be developing these things as we're maximizing your marriages, as we're perfecting your parenting, as we're working to multiply ministries. See, this is the process of renewal, and it's got to be faithfully carried out in us. This is how you cause the seed of revelation to not only be remembered, but to be brought into reality and to be renewed and multiplied as it goes forth. I want, to, I want you to consider one last thing. We're talking about remembering bringing into reality, and being renewed. Walk through the tabernacle in your mind with me. To remember. That's the very first step. You're remembering God's greatness. You're remembering the words that he's spoken to you. Then you bring into reality the necessity to have death to Nabal, which leads us towards a consecration, a renewal at the laver itself, the water that's there to water your soul, to wash you and cleanse you, that place where his water is applied to you. Then you remember again, which is what the Spirit, you remember what the Spirit is saying there at the menorah. Then you bring into reality what the Word says. You bring to life those Abigail traits. What has the Word spoken to you? And you bring that into reality. Then you're able to renew your partnership with the very God of all creation at the golden altar. And it's like an incense that goes up before you. See, this process of remembering, this process of, of, of reviving and making it a reality and renewing, this process of retaining, it's the watering of the seed of revelation, and it brings us to the very throne of God. So can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. 
Look, saints, we want to remind you of a few things. You have heard the word. We want to ask you, but do you remember so you can retain it? We want to let you know that today, he can help you. You have heard the word, but do you realize so you can retain? The hope is today, he can help you. You have heard the word, but do you renew so that you can retain it? The hope is this morning, he can help you. Look, as we stand to our feet, allow the soil of our hearts to be watered by these practical steps. Church, we want you to understand the emphasis on gratefulness at the beginning of this series. If you want to remember, if you want to bring into reality and renew, you must be grateful. It's like fertilizer, like Pastor Eric said earlier. Fertilizer on the seed that facilitates growth. It helps you cultivate the soil. So as we have gathered the grain, as we've cultivated the soil, you know what we're going to do together, church? We're going to retain it. So as I begin to pray, come down to the altar. In whatever area or all three areas, being able to remember, realize, renew, ask the Lord to help you, and I know for certain he will. Mighty King of heaven and earth, Oh, we thank you for this ability, Lord, to be watered, watered by your word. Lord, we ask for your help right now as we seek your face. Lord, help us. Help us remember what you've given us. Help us realize, bring it into reality for us as we put it into practice. Lord, and help us be renewed by your word washing over the seed of revelation. We love you, mighty God, and we thank you for bringing us this place of growth. In the name of Jesus.